from Thrivalist, this is the Sober Not Sorry podcast with your host, Georgie Irvine. As a leading destination to change your relationship with alcohol in an empowered way, Thrivalist will help you free yourself from the alcohol trap and craft a life so beautiful you no longer want to drink. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Sober Not Sorry podcast. In today's episode, I interviewed the beautiful Lisa. Lisa has been a Thrivalist member for over a year now, and the way she articulates her journey will most likely land and never leave. Lisa has a way of telling her story that truly captivates, and I can't wait to share it with you all. I hope you enjoy the episode. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And I would just love you to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your drinking story, and then what led you to Thrivalist. Mm, okay. So I'm Lisa. I'm 68. I think I'm the oldest member. I'm pretty sure I am. Anyway, I'm proud to be that if I am that. Um, I am a mother of four grown children of my own, and I raised a fifth. I have seven grandchildren with two more on the way, twins on the way. Um, I have been a successful businesswoman running my own businesses uh, and having lived and worked in a few different countries around the world. So I've had a pretty full, rich life. I've, I've you know, been the hippie in cheesecloth, uh, growing veggies and milking cows, and I've been the high-end, you know, sitting around boardrooms, running huge um, budgets, so, and everything in between, you know, from um, having incredible enlightening experiences, squatting over a bucket of nappies. So, yeah, life life has been big. Um, my drinking journey Probably, I mean, gosh, you know, it started when I was a child because I grew up with parents who drank every day. They would be considered within the parameters of, you know, normal social drinking, like they shared a couple of drinks at night, my mum and dad. They were always entertaining. There was always alcohol around and that was considered very normal. Um, Alcohol came into my life. Look, as, you know, actively up until my 30s, drinking would have been maybe thinking to buy a bottle of wine if we were going out to a nice dinner and often not finishing that, like often leaving half the bottle on the table because my first husband and I, alcohol just wasn't really a part of our lives at all. In my 30s, I was on my own with three children um, after a divorce and um, alcohol really entered my life with my second relationship with my second husband, with my not second relationship but second marriage. And interestingly, he's really not a drinker. Like he enjoys a drink but he could, he wouldn't, think about, oh, God, we're running out of something to drink. I better go down to the bottle shop. He would go weeks and weeks without even thinking about having another drink. So when I say it came into my life during that period, it it wasn't as a result of my husband being a drinker. Um, By my 40s, my career was really taking off and so was my drinking. 
are very much a part of the advertising industry. You know, gosh, I can't even think of anybody that I was working with who wasn't drinking. You know, by bars, fully stocked bars, uh, always throughout the agency. Hours are very long. It's very normal to have a drink on your desk after about five o'clock. And every function has lots and lots of alcohol. By my 50s, alcohol was really a daily habit. And by my 60s, I'd given up on, you know, I hadn't stopped drinking wine, but um, uh, wine was a bit like cordial, you know, like really. So I was up to half a bottle of vodka, half a bottle of whiskey, easily a night, sharing that with my husband, but I was the pusher. I was always filling his glass. He was always saying, slow down, you know, and I would only stop really because he would say, really, that's enough. Um, I could have just kept going, I think. I don't know. I, I mean, I never did do that, so I don't know, but I felt like I could have kept going. So, yeah, that was up until um, uh, I've been in Thrivalist for a year on the 31st, well, on the 31st of December, I had my last drink. And um, I was sober curious probably for a good few years before that. AA never felt really comfortable for me for a number of reasons, and I know it works for thousands of people, so I don't want to be a critic of that system, but the what's embedded in that system didn't feel comfortable for me personally. Um, I had real issues saying I'm an alcoholic and I'm out of control of my alcoholism. Um, when I discovered Thrivalist and I started diving into the work and discovered alcohol use disorder, like a spectrum disorder, that sat really comfortably with me. And I was on the very high end of the spectrum disorder. So, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, it, my coming to sobriety didn't come about out of, you know, a particular hideous moment or a hideous blackout or anything like that. There were plenty of those. But there wasn't a catalyst, uh, not blackout. I, ne I never had blackouts, but, man, I was, you know, very heavily intoxicated, you know, too many times. Um, so uh, it was just that feeling of um, slow, it was, it was a feeling like a slow death. Like I was literally, I was literally killing myself. That's what it felt like. And I was um, aware of that. I was aware of, not, not fully aware, but I was aware of what was, I that I was really destroying myself. And, um, and the self-deprecation and the shaking at night, waking up, you know, out of sleep and feeling that internal trembling, which I realise is toxic overload, um, that, that was the point where I just went, I've got to, I've got to stop. This is, I've got, I've got to stop. So I stalked Thrivalist for a while. And what held me back was um, all the beautiful young women. I thought, well, where's the older women? Like, there's no one in there like me. Where am I going to fit? I couldn't see me in there anywhere, which is interesting. I still can't see me in there. 
But, you know, what I would say to all of the beautiful young women is it wasn't that long ago that I was where you are and don't take, you know, all these years to come to a point where you go, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. I mean, high-functioning, because I think, I mean, I've heard a lot of the stories from the women sitting on the calls, and it seems that we all really are very high-functioning. Um, but I can assure everyone that, that that is still, you know, participating in putting that poison into their body every day that, Everyone who's not drinking, they're starting at the start line when the gun goes off and we're all starting 20 to 50 metres back, you know. So, um, yeah, that's my story, how I, how I got to sobriety. Thanks, Lise. And I do feel that you are such a huge part of our community um, and to hear you, you know, a year ago looking into the and thinking, where are all the leases, you know, where are all the women my age, you know, um, and we do have a few women um, in the community now and you are such a gift to us um, and there's obviously even younger ones than me but you are such a gift so I am just so honoured that you did take that leap and that would have been a bit of a fear I'm assuming because, Lise, if you are going into something and you felt like there was just all these young women but you launched yourself into it anyway, um, which is just so courageous because, going into sobriety is such a courageous step. And it, touching on that, Lise, I'd really love to know your biggest fears leading into sobriety. Failure, that I was going to fail. My biggest fear was that I was going to fail, that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, you know, just how that would be such a letdown to myself primarily, but to everybody around me. Um, you know, the thing is, um, you know, we women hold up a lot. We hold up a real lot. And we were talking about that, Georgie, briefly when um, we, before we, you know, went on to the, to the recording. Just to get here today for me was huge because life throws curveballs and we're already holding up a lot of balls. I know I am, and I know most women out there are. We all have a different story, but we all have the same bottom line. We're all massive multitaskers. And, um, and what, what we need to realise, you know, we talk about self-love and self-care in the program, which is so important, and I'm still not brilliant at it, but I'm better at it than I was. But one thing that's so important for us all to remember, and we tend to think too, I think women, as women, we tend to think too much about, you know, the people we care for, you know, our children and our partners. We tend to put them in the forefront of our minds. But the truth is what we do to ourselves, we do to the people we love. And so if we keep drinking, we're not just, you know, crippling ourselves but we're affecting everyone around us so that's something I think that we have to remember yeah definitely such an important 
part of the sobriety journey and such an important part of life is being able to put ourselves first again. And sometimes by doing that, we need to remind ourselves that it is going to be a beautiful ripple effect through everyone around us. And that sometimes gives us that extra bit of permission to Mm -hmm. step into that life because, as you said, it's not always easy to have that self-care and that self-love, but it is so important and it is so important in early sobriety and we have to continue to practice that. It's not like something you do for eight weeks and then you stop. You know, the important part of sobriety moving into the future and living a beautiful life of sobriety is continuing with those self-care practices and that is reminding ourselves every day that we are allowed to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, Georgie, you know, it's not the ripple effect for women once we take that poison out of our lives and out of our bodies um, is not necessarily immediately a beautiful thing. You know, like if we're surrounded by people who greet the highest in us and really really love us for the best that we can possibly be, then yes, the ripple effect is going to be immediate. But if we're unfortunately surrounded by people who are struggling with their own demons, then sometimes that relationship is dependent on us to keep drinking, you know. So when we stop drinking, the ripple effect can be a little bit confronting. And that's when I think we also have to be very selfish and very brave. Yeah, that's such amazing advice there, Lise. Um, And very important because there is a lot of, you know, changes in relationships, et cetera, in early sobriety. And something I always love to say is communication in that situation is number one. It is the wording and it's also how you are articulating that to that person that you love, whether that be your husband or your wife or, you know, your children, your grandchildren. It's in the communication and the articulation of that and that, in itself is super important because our sobriety does affect our household exactly the same as our drinking does and it's important to recognize that and it is a really great tool and something personally that I didn't learn until I was about four months into my sobriety and if I could change it I would have communicated it a lot better with my loved ones I just expected them to come on for the ride they did but it wasn't easy for them like I thought it would be, Um, and Mm. that was on me. So I think that's really powerful advice for everyone as well. Lise, I'd love to know how the Thriveless communities helped you throughout this last year. Uh, I couldn't have done it without it. I mean, everyone's, um, every woman's investment into their sobriety is going to be different. For me, I have this real thing about letting people down. You know, I'm incredibly responsible and loyal. Like I have to be on death's door to let people down. So um, I'll, I'll let myself down. That's easy. But letting other people down, you know, is just like, well, it's, it's kind of not even a part of my language. You know, if I make a commitment, then that's what I keep doing. Um, there has to be some pretty profound reasons for me not to see that through. So uh, diving into these Zoom calls and connecting with each of those women 
um, you know, even though it's only a screen, it's really different to sitting and being in the presence of somebody. It, you know, Zoom calls and a Zoom community has its limitations. But every woman that I've experienced in the Thribalus community has brought to the table their absolute rawness. And, you know, that in itself, I think, is something that's very precious and needs to be protected. And therefore, um, you know, you want to see familiar faces, like you want to dial in and you want to see people that you know, and it's really encouraging to see new faces all the time. But it's that thing of, wow, how's Marcia going today? How's Kate going? How's Lisa going? How's the people going? You know, like, um, and the journey is not, you can't necessarily see it yourself, but when you, when you see someone starting in this community, if they stick it out, the change in them showing up, how they look, how they sound, how they're coping with life, I mean, it's, it's really profound. And so for me, it was the calls that um, were, were the, was what I got the most. The work is incredible. It leaves no stone unturned. Um, but, and it's very powerfully enlightening. I mean, you can't run away from the scientific facts, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's the, it's that, feminine, you know, here we are and I'm, I'm, this is me and I'm not putting on a face, I'm not showing up to try and impress the boss or try and keep the partner happy or trying to be the nice mummy when the school teacher's being a bitch to your children, you know, I'm just being me. So the women who join the calls are just stripped away, you know, often sometimes lying in bed, like not even able to sit up because they're feeling so poorly. So, yeah, that's the thing that I, and, and still to this day, like I couldn't, I just couldn't have picked up a drink and come back and felt like I'd let everybody down, not just me down. And there's, I have never felt an atom of judgment from anybody on the cause that does slip up. Like I never see or feel a ripple of anything from any of the of the women. But, um, yeah, for me it was like, oh, my God, to show my face again if I drank. So it was, it was definitely the calls that's the, been the biggest thing for me and the community of women and the play the tape forward because I can't, you know, you. Re I mean, I don't know whether this is always the way it has been, but I feel like I've reached an age where there's, I, I don't want to be bullshitting about anything anymore. So I'm not, I don't want to bullshit to myself either. So I know if I pick up a drink and have a sip or make an excuse just for one glass of bubbles, this is a really good reason and I'm only going to have one glass of bubbles and that's it. And, you know, it's okay because it's a really good reason to have this glass of bubbles. I deserve it. You know, that's just bullshit. <laughs>
That's just not going to work. And I don't know if it's ever going to work. I mean, I can only deal with now. I don't know, you know, in another year or in another five years or another 10 years. But if I keep checking in on myself and I get a really clear, I don't think I can stop at one. I could stop at one today. But by the end of this week, I'm going to be going down and I'm going to be buying a bottle of wine. And by the end of the next week, I'm going to be buying two. So, yeah. And I think we all have to use our intelligence. We, we have to. It's, it's being demanded of us. If you're sober curious, you have to start to use your intelligence. And we've all got shit going on in our lives. Some of us have got real big shit going on in our lives. And we're just a mass of emotional stardust, us women, really. You know, we really are. And we, we hold a lot together and we have to just kind of go, okay, I'm really emotional or I'm really upset or I've really got this going on or, you know, I've just left my job or I've just been sacked or I've just broken up with my husband. But we've got to use our intelligence around alcohol. It's being demanded of us. Really, you know, like I said in one of the calls recently, I feel like we're fighting for our lives here, and, and I believe we are. If we're putting a poison, a known poison into our body that increases the risk of breast cancer and all sorts of shit, like exponentially increases that, every single glass that we consume, then we must call on our intelligence to go, I'm feeling like shit, I'm feeling like I can't cope. I'm feeling like I won't be able to do it, but I have to. Yeah, amazing advice. And something I just want to add to that because there's not a lot I can add to that because that was just spoken about so beautifully, but no one is coming to save us. We have to get to the point where we save ourselves and that is something really important to remember because I think we've got all these Band-Aids and pills and things that help us throughout life but with sobriety, we're the ones putting that alcohol into our bodies. We have the power to never do that again and to take that out for life. Um, and no one is coming to save us. But you just articulated that beautifully, Lise, as I knew you. Can you tell me what have you learnt most about yourself in this past year? Oh, I'm fierce. <laughs> you are. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm vulnerable. Um, it's, it's an interesting paradox, you know, being both fierce and vulnerable. And the fierceness is, you know, a I think it's a learned part of me, you know, to be able to survive. It's a survival mechanism. Um, and the vulnerable part of me I don't show to too many people. But um, I'm both fierce and vulnerable and um, I have what it takes to, to take care of myself, you know, to take care of myself. Life, life is like the thing is, you know, I'm 68 and without being more uh, 68 in March, I always jump ahead. I like to kind of make myself sound older so that people go, oh, my God, you look amazing. <laughs> I should tell everyone I'm 75. Anyway. Um, Great tip. Uh, <laughs> so 
It's not morbid. It's real. I don't have a lot of tomorrows left in the normal course of a lifetime. Any shit can show up at any time and we can be popped off, you know, sooner than any of us expect or would wish to. But we don't have an infinite number of tomorrows. Every tomorrow is one less. And that's the facts. So um, I've got, I do have the ability to go, this substance is killing me. It's holding me back from being my absolute best version of myself that I can be. And I know that's words that are thrown around a lot, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a quiet, it's a quiet thing, that thing, you know, being the best version of yourself, you know, we're not all Anthony Robbins or Brené Browns, you know, like being the best version of yourself can be a very quiet thing. Um, But for me to be able to take this very addictive, very toxic substance out of my life um, without where we are absolutely surrounded by it constantly, um, you know, shows me that I have what it takes. And if I have what it takes, every single woman in this program has what it takes. And I don't say that lightly. It doesn't matter how hardcore, you know, we all have what it takes. We just have to use our intelligence and choose. And for me, it was literally just saying no every single time. It was really simple. I just had to say no and give myself, you know, mineral water, kombucha, whatever it was, chai tea, didn't matter. I don't care what other people think. I'm way beyond that. I don't care what other people think. If it's uncomfortable for other people, I don't care. But, um, you know, it's, it's been something that, I've achieved a year. I'm not stopping. I I was nervous. Like I said on the last call, I was nervous coming up to the 31st of December. You know, I I kind of thought, oh, shit, what does that mean? Does that mean that someone's going to shove a glass of champagne into my hand and go, yay, you made a year, you know? Um, How how am I going to feel about that, you know? is Does that mean it stops at the year? or what's next after the year. Um, But I don't feel nervous about it now. The 31st of December is just another day in the day of my sobriety. It's not, it doesn't really matter whether it marks a year or whether it marks a month. It doesn't matter. It's, this is what I'm doing. And I'm going to continue doing it because the opposite is shit, real shit. It is real shit. Yep, yeah, exactly. And we do know once we get to this place that we have the choice. We have the choice to move forward and grow or we have the choice to go backwards. And when we go backwards, when we're at this place of addiction, the backwards step goes really, really fast and it really, mm. really hurts and it will hurt for the rest of your life. Um, and that's the choice we have. And it's so beautiful to hear you say that you are going to choose the other way, least without yeah. saying forever. To you. I still haven't got there yet. We'll get you there. 
<laughs> I still haven't got there yet. You know, there's a part of me that's still like, oh, maybe I'm like 80-something <laughs> in Ireland somewhere sipping my last Irish whiskey before I, you know, take the happy pill or something. <laughs> you know, like Harold and Maud. Did you ever see that movie? No, it's a cult movie. It's really old, but it's a great movie if you ever get a chance to watch it. Harold and Maud. And it's all Cat Stevens music. It's fabulous. Yeah. Anyway, Maud decides that 80 is when she's terminating her life. Wow. Yeah. And like, you know, maybe before I, maybe before the lights go out, I might just have a sneaky something, you know. <laughs> Well, I hope by the time you get there, which is a very long way away, Lise, that you won't even consider doing that. That is my duty of care to you. That is what I'm aiming for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you get, do you get extra brownie points if you go to heaven sober? I don't know. Let's say yes. <laughs> we can make that rule, all right? We can make the rules and we can break the rules, so we're going to say yeah. yes. Okay. Oh, you're the sober one. Okay, front row. Yes. <laughs> Oh, you were drinking? Uh, go to the back, back of the line. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Lise, um, can you just give some advice to someone that's listening in? They're fearful but they are sober curious and they are wanting to have a real go at a life of sobriety. Could you just share some um, advice? Ooh. Um, well, join the group or find a group that supports your sobriety Hang out with people who don't drink. That's really important. Hang out with people who honour the fact that you're wanting to give your body the best possibility that it can have, which isn't when you're drinking. Um, and learn about what alcohol actually does to the body, does to the brain cells, does to the organs learn about that, don't run away from it, dig into it, pull back the curtains and have a long, hard look at what you're actually doing to your body. Um, listen to things like This Naked Mind or We Are the Luckiest, like hear other women's stories of how they managed um, and be honest with yourself, like play it forward if I have a drink. If I have a drink, what's that really going to look like? Um, and um, uh, just keep saying no. Like it's, you know, when you're in your 40s and 50s, I do think that that we women are surrounded by more, more alcohol. There's more alcohol, you know, work, work events, girls' nights out, um, you know, girls' weekends away, you know, birthday parties. I mean, God, I was at one of my grandson's birthday parties recently. He was turning six years old and his mum had gone to so much effort and it was so beautiful and she had all this lovely kombucha and mineral water and everything. And parents were coming up asking where the alcohol was. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. I was just like, holy crap, like, that I have to say that as a child, and I have some pretty vivid memories of my birthdays as a child, I don't ever remember any my parents or anyone drinking. I, I 
had four children and raised a fifth and I've thrown them birthday parties pretty much every single year. A lot of them were themed and lots of parents and kids there and I don't remember ever having alcohol at a children's birthday party. So when I spoke to my my grown adult children, they say, oh, yeah, there's almost always alcohol at kids' birthday parties. And I'm like, what the You know, so I do think that alcohol has embedded further and further into our lives and into society than even when I was young in my 30s, 40s, you know. And um, so I think the 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 um, the strength to say no and to allow oneself to say, no, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you know, you all do that. That's your bodies, none of my business, but I'm not going to do that, um, is, is tougher. It's much tougher on younger women these days. And I've done the damage on my children. Like my children have grown up seeing me drinking. You know, they've grown up knowing mum to be, you know, happy for the first drink or two and then cynical, critical or depressed for the rest of the drinks, you know, snappy, angry, critical. So, you know, there's a lot of recovery in my relationship with my growing children and their beautiful and loving children, thank goodness, and, you know, accepting and forgiving. And I have very honest relationships with them. But I can influence my grandchildren, you know. I can show them a different way. And thank God their parents are too. So there's a trend that we're at the crest of. There's a push back on alcohol consumption and alcohol in every single part of our lives for every celebration. And I I think we all need to go to the top of the hill and keep screaming out loud, you know, because it's killing us and it kills a lot of people, a lot of people. And I don't want to end on a morbid note, but let's be real, it really kills a lot of people. Um, hospital wards are filled with alcohol-related illnesses and, you know, cemeteries are filled with people who've been killed on the roads from alcohol-related car accidents. So, yeah, it's not a ha- there's no happy ending with drinking. There's never a happy ending. That is a great way to finish off because that is the truth and that is being honest and that is what this community and this podcast is all about it is all about showing up raw as our true authentic selves and the only way that you get there is through sobriety and it has been such an honor to have you here Lise and the way you tell your story I am captivated every time and it's just been a pleasure to have you here so thank you oh you're so welcome just keep saying no guys gals keep saying no Every single time, every single work lunch, every single drink that's put on your desk, it passes really quickly. It doesn't, you know, I, I look, I don't know. I don't know if for people who might start drinking early in the morning, you know, I don't know what that would feel like to say no. But for me, it was, you know, socialising out and about with friends or with work staff or or the afternoons, like from 3.30 I'd start to drink about, think about my first drink, which, 
you know, couldn't wait to get to it about 4.35 o'clock. And if I just kept said no for that hour or two, it, it just goes, it passes. Have chocolate instead. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So we'll finish off with just say no and come and join the Thrivalist community because we are all here to support each other and that's where the power lies. Thanks, Lise. That's it for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you feel called, I would love you to write a review and share this episode with anyone you feel may benefit from it. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode. Lots of love. If you're not 100% sure about joining Thrivalist just yet, I'd like to direct you towards some free resources to get you started right away on your sober curious journey. You can head over to our website at www.thrivalistsobriety.com and read our member reviews. When you read about other women's success stories, it serves as a huge inspiration to get you started on your own journey. And if we can do it, so can you. You can also head to the resource section of our website and listen to a free guided inner mentor meditation or calculate how much you'll save by taking a break from drinking. Plus, we've got loads of other free resources for you over there. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and join our free Facebook community. And please reach out anytime you may need some support at info at